0: Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat.
1: The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast.
2: (laughs) It's just been an unreal ride, right? And we gotta go back to the hotel and, and see what happens. But I, I want you guys to know this uh, before that happens. Like, th- this is this was therapeutic for me to be around a group like this. I, I, I gotta tell you guys, man, I love you, I do. I don't care what happens tonight. I, I know what I got in this room. And it's been a, it has been cool for me. To be with y'all every day, to watch you guys work and and battle and um, and gain the respect of your peers the way you have on this trip. We're not the sons of old. You've been through a lot. You've been through a lot, and it's it's hard to to play the way you play every single night and not get the respect that you deserve. Guess what? You got it. Okay. So I don't I don't care what happens god knows i hope we get a chance to to keep shocking the world because that's what you did nobody believed we come you know we come here and go 8-0 and and beat the teams we beat but just know man this is special okay i want you guys to know that i don't care what happens right this is special don't let anybody take this away from you you gain the respect of the league okay now we got to build on it we may get to build on it this this weekend or it may happen in the summer we don't control it We got to get to the point where we control Understand that? You guys understand that? You want to be the kind of team that controls your own destiny, okay? That's our next step, all right? Love you guys, bring it in.
1: Timeline of Brooklyn Nets. I'm sorry, Phoenix Suns podcast. (laughs) I forgot. I forgot what team we were rooting for. uh, For a second there, we are recording immediately after the Brooklyn Nets' loss, heartbreaking loss for Suns fans. Most
3: quintessential Phoenix Suns way for us to unfortunately lose this. A heartbreaking loss. The only thing that could have been worse, Mike, is a, a Damian Lillard buzzer beating game winner but it almost felt like that um mm-hmm. first of all i just really want to quickly give credit to the brooklyn nets because Absolutely. they didn't they did not have to give a shit no. in this game and they did and um caris lavert played phenomenally well except for a couple of possessions down the stretch that obviously the the last second mid-range shot uh, that he missed and he also had a, a one or two bad turnovers um, Jared Allen looked like prime Dennis Rodman out there with all the offensive rebounds he was grabbing. Uh, the Nets did not have to care. They gave the Suns a fighting chance. But in a way, wouldn't it have been a little bit better if they just got trounced from the get go? Like if they just got dominated and, and we could have just kind of gotten it over with? and not had to go all the way into the last second of the fourth quarter, hoping that the Suns were going to make the play-in.
1: Yeah, well, I can say that we'd be done recording by, by now.
3: <laughs> we would have started recording probably in the mid-third quarter. would have been efficient for us. But um, this has just been like the longest day yes. for me. I haven't even been awake. I haven't had that many waking hours today. I woke up pretty late today, but like this has just felt like the longest day in, in forever. And that's just sports when when they actually have meaning behind them. And, you know, obviously the Suns game, they're not in the play-in. They're not going to make the playoffs this year. Um, But the Suns trounced the uh, Dallas Mavericks today, and that game has quite a lot of meaning behind it as well.
1: Yeah, that was today.
3: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I felt felt from... Kevin Harlan and Reggie Miller, actually. Yeah. Uh, Reggie Miller would not, not my go-to choice for a color commentator. He's the worst. For when the Suns are, <laughs> for yeah, you said it, not me. It's for when the Suns are finally on national TV. But I felt for them a little bit having to do that game. And then I don't know if they take a quick break in between or something. And, and then have to be back at it late
1: at night. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, that was today. And, and uh, it was a weird thing where uh the suns were playing at the same time as the grizzlies and the bucks and the the grizzlies handled handled themselves they they played well against the bucks of course you can make the case that the bucks handed that game to them with taylor jenkins the coach of the grizzlies being a former assistant to mike budenholzer they rested players uh i believe actually i don't even i didn't even watch this game right i so i really have no opinions on it other than yeah, i'm I mad could not. that it happened
3: <laughs> I didn't have the mental capacity to, to switch back and forth between the two games. I was so nervous. Plus, I was enjoying, by, by the time it was the third quarter, I was enjoying watching the Suns just beat up on the Mavs so much uh, I, and trying to follow along with Twitter at the same time. I did not have the mental fortitude to flip back and forth between the two games. So I literally have no idea what happened in that one.
1: Yeah, uh, and you know what? Who cares at this point? The, 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 Suns, the Suns did everything that they could. Like, let's just rewind. Let's rewind a few months. a few months ago. The NBA announces that they're trying to put together a potential idea for a bubble, where they could invite a certain amount of teams, and those teams can compete. They would uh, be play enough games to get the proper proper RSN money, right? They would make the money from the regional sports networks, and then they could play the playoffs all the way to the finals. They at first said it would likely just be playoff teams. Then they expanded it to twenty teams. Supposedly, the NBA Board of Governors met and. Certain owners were pushing for it to be 22 teams, certain owners, including Robert Sarver. Thank God for that. I don't compliment Robert Sarver often, Mm -hmm. but that was the absolute right decision. And at the time, I didn't think it was because I was worried about the health and safety of the players. Officially, all the Suns are going to get out of this completely healthy. Nobody injured themselves and nobody was testing positive for COVID. So that's good news there. At that time, once it was announced that it was gonna be twenty two teams, you and I together broke down the idea of the playoffs for the Suns and we said the only we way that, we the only way they're gonna have a chance is if they go eight and over seven and one. We said that's likely yeah. not gonna happen. But even if that does, it's still out of their hands. Something that we said on this podcast. But they did it. And and I think this is important yeah. to say. They did it. They went eight and zero. Every single opportunity they that it. they had to give them a chance to make the playoffs, <laughs> they went out there and they did it. And this is not like with—I believe this wholeheartedly—the Trailblazers did all of this on Damian Lillard's back. He deserves the MVP of this bubble because that team did not play very well, and it took gargantuan performances by Damian Lillard to actually get out of every single game that they won alive. But with the Phoenix Suns, Devin Booker turned into a superstar, legitimately turned into a superstar. But the way that they won, the way that they went 8-0, is that every single player exceeded expectations, save for a few. And those few, we'll talk about, of course. But Javon Carter exceeded expectations. Cameron Payne became an NBA player out of nowhere. Yeah. Cameron Johnson justified his draft pick in an eight-game performance and made James Jones look like a genius. And up and down the roster, you can look at this and say, they did something remarkable.
3: Dario Saric justified that trade as well that everyone panned last year. Um, Yeah, there is no reaction that you can possibly have to today. Other, you know, once... Of course, the loss was heartbreaking. Of course, you want to be in the play-in, but ultimately, there's no reaction that is reasonable to have other than to be insanely proud uh, of the resilience and the fortitude of this team uh, to go what they went through. And uh, you know, Monty Monty said it best, I think, in his kind of sports cliche movie inspiring speech that (laughs) that he had at the beginning of the podcast.
1: Too, you guys will hear that so.
3: Oh, okay. So that's what you're going to choose. I think that's a, a, I think that's a brilliant choice. Um, but, but just, you know, making it clear, don't let anyone take this away from you. These game people are going to say that maybe these games didn't matter. These games absolutely mattered. It is the most that we've ever seen this team come together. It's the first eight game winning streak for the entire organization in 13 years. As you said, we saw Devin Booker turn into a bona fide superstar, um, in the bubble and, and just players up and down, like you said, Mike, surpassing my wildest expectations. Um, it really it really was a sight to behold for phoenix suns fans and i think it's a memory that phoenix suns fans are going to
1: are going to treasure forever and there's so many reasons to point out why it matters and i'm glad you brought that up i think that one of the main ones is the suns were so rarely talked about in national media conversations that when i would post a clip of Charles Barkley talking about the Phoenix Suns on TNT. Half the time they were laughing at the team. But, you know, it would get 500 likes. You know, like, it would get 200 retweets. Because it was so rare. It happened so much during the bubble that we didn't have to do that. Anytime you turned on ESPN, there were conversations about the Suns. Every time you turned on TNT, there were conversations about the Suns. On NBA TV, on Bleacher Report, every single place you looked, the conversation was about the Suns. And that conversation was not because of goat shit in our GM's office. Mm-hmm. It was not mm-hmm. because our owner stupidly sold a, a G League team just to save a little cash. It was because <laughs> Devin Booker became a superstar. The Suns were winning games against good teams. And Monty Williams, by the way, but I also want to say this. This conversation happens a lot, but I do find it weird how how little certain people bring up Monty Williams. I just want to give him a shout out right now uh michael schwartz was on the low post podcast an excellent interview uh neither of them brought up monty williams once i waited for it that's
3: interesting i I, to be honest with you i listened to that episode i didn't even notice i waited
1: for it i wanted i wanted him to get credit here because because coaching is about a lot of things right it's about the x's and o's it's about the rotations during the game it's about adjustments during the game but i think a big part of of coaching a part that a lot of coaches struggle to do is to ensure that your players are focused going into the game and to give them that proper focus going into the game that is really really hard it takes a really really good coach to do that and I think throughout this entire bubble Monty did that and I want to just give him credit there I don't want to forget about him I don't want to bring him up too late on this podcast I think he deserves a lot of credit
3: and just where he is compared to where I expected him to be coming in as a, as a head coach. It, when he signed with Phoenix for five years, it was his first time as a head coach. We knew since uh, he coached the New Orleans Pelicans and Anthony Davis several years ago. And I, I, just another guy who surpassed my wildest expectations. Frankly, I think when we talked about it a year ago, I expected him to be an old school head coach who kind of wanted to pound it into the we post worried. a little bit more than he should and yeah. and play guys too many minutes. and. Uh, essentially not run a modern system and he proved to be just an insanely adaptable coach who understands that uh, you really have to adapt your system based on the pieces that you're given he was given Ricky Rubio and Devin Booker two of the most phenomenal playmakers in the NBA and he used that uh, to turn it into an offensive system that led the league in assists a year after we couldn't buy a fucking assist all season long with Igor Kokoschka so it was uh, a fantastic transformation under Bonte obviously and and yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't really name a single thing that he did throughout this bubble that I would want him to change. Can you?
1: I mean, no. I mean, when when you win every single, it almost makes it hard to talk about the team sometimes when they're playing so well because there's well, less there's to talk about. You know,
3: the, yeah, sure, but there's always there's always the good and the bad. There's always a balance to it. Honestly, there is only one player on the entire roster. I guess there's technically two, but the second guy barely played by the end. Um, there's only one important player who disappointed me at all in the bubble. Right. So if you want to talk about that guy, we could talk about that guy, or um, we could blush a little bit more um, over Devin Booker, <laughs> Cam Johnson, Darius Saric, guys like that. I'm game for that as well.
1: No, we could t- we could talk about him. We should still uh, circle back and talk about the guys who sure. who impressed us a little bit. Well, let's talk about him. His name is DeAndre Ayton, <laughs> and and here's the thing I I will say about DeAndre Ayton. I thought he was excellent today uh, in the game that they played today. I think that there's such a microscope on him right now in a way that I find really interesting. Well... Go ahead.
3: No, you go ahead, because I'm intrigued by that phrase, and I want to touch on it, but I want to hear you expand on it first.
1: Well, I I think that when he makes a mistake, it's quickly pointed out in all Mm -hmm. uh, Suns' social media platforms, which is not the case with everyone that plays for the Suns, you know? It should it should be said how important, like how big his mistakes can be in comparison to other players defensively, uh, but other guys make mistakes defensively regularly. It's just that yeah. when you make a d- mistake defensively as a center, it's more obvious. It's more glaring. Average fans, casual fans, can see sure. those those mistakes. They're pretty obvious. And and I think a lot of times it's like an aggression thing too right they want him to dunk a lot that that's like a huge thing but when it comes I to I want
3: him I want him to do that too I mean, yeah. look layups are still great but look I think DeAndre had a good game uh today after the first quarter I thought he had a pretty bad first right. quarter actually and um after he flung up his third or fourth mid-range shot I think I literally heard Monte yell no stand up and like start pacing down the court like angrily right and and he called a timeout pretty soon after that and he got DeAndre to adjust his game he came out focused in the uh, second quarter and by the end of the first half it was a blowout so he didn't have to play too much in the second half but uh, once DeAndre was kind of refocused by Monty he was much better in this game what I'm gonna say about him making mistakes and having those mistakes pointed out on social media Mike is just this Get used to it yeah. because the biggest tonal shift that we're going to see now that the Suns went 8-0, right. it is fantastic right. that the Suns went 8-0. Every Suns fan should be happy about this, but here's what it does. Now, the media narrative going into next year, everyone's going to kind of keep in the back of their mind that this is the Phoenix Suns team that went 8-0. The ceiling um, or the expectations are raised. And honestly, like if you ask most people where they expected the Suns to be next season, um, before the bubble, they might have said a little bit better than they are now. Maybe they'll hit 500. I think now, when we come uh, when it comes time for the season expectations going into next year, a lot of people are going to expect the Suns to be a low-seeded playoff team, um, and that means DeAndre Ayton, in year three as a 22-year-old, needs to grow the fuck up a little bit, and he's going to have his mistakes pointed out because he's going to be on the national stage uh, a lot. I think a point that our friend of the pod, obviously David Nash, made on Twitter that I really liked is... You know, as much as Devin Booker was disrespected for the first five years of his career, he was always kind of able to hide behind the fact that the Suns were so bad just a little bit because it meant the Suns weren't on national TV. Yeah. And you know, obviously Devin Booker's a phenom- uh, phenomenal scorer who has grown in so many ways over the past several years. But kind of like, even with his defense, which has obviously always been his mm-hmm. biggest weakness, Devin Booker's defense is kind of something that was poked at by. Uh, the, the NBA Twitter hipsters. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily something that was out there in the mainstream right. as a constant critique. Right. If the Suns now have 15 games on national TV next year, DeAndre Ayton is expected to be the number two. And if he doesn't come out playing like the number two, he's going to have all that pressure kind of collapse on him. So he's, you know, he's got a, wake up a little bit. It it, it doesn't bother me, um, his lackluster bubble performance right now, because the Suns won eight games in a row and, and ultimately winning heals all wounds. Um, but the expectations are higher on him now, and so he has to adjust accordingly.
1: Yeah, I have uh, two thoughts on that. First thing about the Devin Booker point that you, you wanted to make or that you were making there. Devin Booker was a, sort of allowed to go out and make a lot of mistakes for a few years of his career because it was just us Suns fans that were watching, and they were losing a lot of games. And in those losses, he was allowed to have the highest usage rate. He was allowed to handle the ball the most. The thing is, Devin Booker constantly exceeded expectations in the, in that time, and that's where DeAndre Ayton is not. Would it Could it be different if, if the Suns were somehow just tanking and they just gave DeAndre Ayton the ball a whole bunch of times during the game? I don't really think so, but maybe, maybe it could, but I think there's an important point that I want to make there. So many people were talking about these eight games from Devin Booker saying, is this the first meaningful basketball that we've seen Devin Booker play in his career? I hate that so much. I think it's such bullshit. Do I think it matters how a player plays when the lights are the brightest? Yes. Does that make every single game before that meaningless? Absolutely not. The games where Devin Booker was allowed to make mistakes are some of the reasons why he's so successful when the lights are so bright. He was able to make those mistakes over and over and over again and allowed to be coached by a coach over time, in his case, five coaches over time, and get better and better and better year over year. Incremental improvements in a whole bunch of different areas and allowed to play minutes where players at his draft position, at his age, should not necessarily be playing if they were on a team with brighter lights. Those games Mm -hmm. are still meaningful in a different way. I understand the sentiment of people saying, is this the first time he's played meaningful basketball? But I also think it's important to acknowledge development over time, incremental development over time. DeAndre Ayton has not been afforded that luxury. He had last season. This season was different. He is now has a microscope on him, and he should, and he still can be good, and he still can succeed under that. But he wasn't given that same uh, luxury that Dion- uh, that uh, devin Booker is by the way it it's not all good, right? It hurt his reputation over time, and he is just right. now able to sort of crawl out of that. Suns fans knew what we were seeing,
3: but we knew, and we've been telling people for years, and I do think it's funny, Mike, uh, so much of that narrative that you were talking about about Booker. Wasn't it just so clear in the past two weeks, like who was, who had never really watched Devin Booker before (laughs) versus the people that actually did? Absolutely. Um, Like it was, it was so obvious. And I just hope for whoever woke up to Devin Booker being a superstar, or at least even like a star player, um, if you were one of the people who used to think that he was only putting up empty stats uh, until the past two weeks, hopefully this is your wake up call that Devin Booker is obviously a great player, but there are a lot of players like him around the league. There are a lot of talented players um, on really bad teams in the NBA right now. There are also not-so-talented players who do put up 20 points per game on terrible teams in the NBA. But it doesn't take that trained, uh, well-trained of an eye uh, to tell the wannabes from the guys who really are going to be something in the league. And so, yeah, like you just have to watch. Like, I mean, you just have to watch, and, and obviously you can argue about the specifics of which guys are, are for real and which aren't, but like, you know, I look at a guy like Trey Young right now on the 20-win Atlanta Hawks, and, and some people are using the same arguments against the, the yeah. guy that we've seen <laughs> yeah. uh, against Devin Booker for years, and it, it's just ridiculous, and I have to wonder when we will finally learn from that mistake. I hope some people are learning from that mistake right now as they wake up to how good Devin Booker actually
1: is. The other point I wanted to make about DeAndre Ayton is this was an eight-game sample size. And some of the points that people will make against that is, yeah, but these were the eight most important games of the season. That's a fair point to make. I think that's true. But we also had 30 games before that this season where DeAndre Ayton was significantly improved on defense. And over time, his defense got better throughout the season. And that's after an entire season previously where over time his defense got better. It is difficult for a big man to be great at defense coming into the league. It usually takes years. For a guy like DeAndre Ayton, what we knew about him coming into the league, it should take years. I feel like I'm defending him a lot here, and I'm not necessarily trying to. I just don't want people to look at this eight-game sample size and say, what is going on? Is he a complete, like, what is going on? I don't think people are necessarily thinking that he's a disaster right now. I don't think that. But I want to make sure that they're not (laughs) because I do think that it's a bubble. It's an eight game bubble. The idea of being isolated away from your friends, away from your house, away from your family and being alone in this bubble surrounded by your teammates is going to affect different players differently. It just is. Obviously, for most of the Suns players, it elevated their game. Being around Monty Williams a lot elevated their game. Being around their teammates a lot elevated their game. But we do have a 30-game sample size with DeAndre Ayton, where he looked better than this coming into the game. And I just want to make sure that we are looking at both of those things when evaluating his performance over time. Because for 30 games, he was pretty good. And for these games, he was okay.
3: Honestly, Mike, uh, you're right. I agree. DeAndre Ayton has gotten a lot better at defense this year. I've got a DeAndre Ayton jersey that that I just ordered that's supposed to finally deliver any day now. I'm looking forward to it because I haven't had an Ayton jersey uh, in the past. Um, so, you know, obviously I'm a big DeAndre Ayton fan, but um, it's almost not the actual on-court performance in an eight-game sample size in the bubble that bothers me as much as it's things like Missing the COVID test. Right. And I know maybe that's not fair, but I think it would be more, I think it would be less fair if that was the first strike against DeAndre Ayton. But obviously, because yeah. of the 25 game suspension, it's the second strike. And when those sorts of things happen in quick succession like that throughout a pl- young player's career, it, it really does make you um, ponder a little bit um, about what their true ambitions are and, and how much motivation they do have to win. And you know, obviously, I'm not I'm not trying to attack DeAndre Ayton too hard here. The Suns went eight and zero in the bubble. We should all be very happy about that. And uh, I'm not looking to trade him anytime soon or anything. Um, but if if you just ask my reasons for why he's the one player who disappointed me in the bubble, there there you have it.
1: Yeah, and I and and I for the record, that's totally fair. <laughs> I, I think he disappointed me uh, as well but i do think there's so much there there's still so much there within that for package sure. and, and you have to for sure and i think and i still think overall and this is this is a product of not having perfect backup centers here overall the team was just better with him on the floor because he's a massive body and he can do so many things in an interesting way uh they just got to figure out how to get him as many free throws as apparently dario Saric can now get i'm sorry
3: yeah i was going to say <laughs> dario Saric isn't a perfect backup center he looked pretty perfect to me i mean
1: he's great but you you know i just feel like He's not better than DeAndre Ayton right now. No, clearly not. So it's like the team was still better with him on the floor, and I think that's an important thing to to note. Uh, It was very clear in uh, the game where he missed his COVID test, which happened this last week. We haven't really – I mean, we guess we touched on it, but we didn't break it down. Uh, Once he got into the game, they just looked so much better, and he was still making mistakes, and he wasn't great, but the whole team just works better with him on the floor. Uh, you know, it was just interesting to see. Let's talk about some of the other guys. I pulled up the stats for just the bubble alone, and they're pretty amazing just to look at. I mean, the obvious standouts, Devin Booker over 30 points a game, uh, five or sorry, six assists, five rebounds. I don't think this is updated to the stats from today. Uh, but it's just incredible what he did. And I, I know that we already kind of touched on it, but it it just feels worth it to go back to it and say he shot over 50%. What I thought was incredible about Devin Booker in this uh, specific eight games is how much he's refined his game in a way that I've been describing on Twitter. Just I like to call it the efficiency of movements. What he is doing when he catches the ball in that high post or that mid post and he faces up, there's so much that he can do from that triple threat position. He can jab step, he he can pump fake, he can spin, he can face up and drive, he can step back and shoot. Uh, There's so many things that he can do from that position and there's no defender that can guard him. We saw Kawhi Leonard, we saw Paul George, briefly saw Patrick Beverly, who probably did the best on him, to be honest. It was just one quarter, who knows how it would have gone for the rest of that game. Lou Dort, who, as we knew, was one of the better defenders in the bubble at the time that he was guarding him. Matisse Thibel, one of the best young defenders in the NBA. All of these guys had a chance on Devin Booker. And there's nothing they can do. He gets to his spots in the least amount of dribbles possible. He's not a Kyrie Irving out there dribbling eight or nine times. He's not CJ McCollum. He's not... Jamal Murray is another example. I I said on Twitter, nobody works harder for a contested two than Jamal Murray. He's good at making them. but he dribbles 8 or 9 times like and and yep. this is it's fine if you can do that if you're good at it you can do it but what Devin Booker does is he dribbles once from that triple threat position and he gets an open shot and and just the footwork the balance the efficiency of movement it was i mean there's only a few guys that you can look at the De- Tr- Tracy McGrady uh Kobe Bryant Michael Jordan <laughs> I almost had a- it no, to say I, you, it
3: I'm totally with you yeah. all those guys Yeah. Um, Booker is unlike any other scorer in the NBA right now. And the reason his uh, moves are so efficient, as you're pointing out, is just because guys are terrified of him from any spot on the floor. It's like you said, he can do so much from that triple threat position. The fact that Devin Booker, who it's insane to me that in the mainstream, he's often still known as a shooter. He's still known as the guy who won the three-point shootout and and set a record. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a guy who shot 0 for 5 from deep. Today He shot 0 for 7 from deep just a few games ago, and yet he can go out there and he can completely demoralize your defense. Um, And he's brought—Mike, I pointed this out on Twitter today. I just looked up the updated stat— Devin Booker is shooting fifty-seven percent, or he shot, I should say, fifty-seven percent from the mid-range um, in the bubble. Oh That's the you know, God. it's it's insane. It's unheard of. Except for one guy can do that, and and his name is Chris Paul. He's the only other guy in the NBA currently who can even touch that number. Um, Booker but has he wasn't brought up doing his it at
1: twenty-three years, years old for the record. He wasn't doing
3: it. He wasn't doing it at twenty-three years old. Booker has brought up his mid-range game to the point. Where he is, frankly, unstoppable. He was already shooting about seventy percent inside of five feet, making him one of the most efficient finishers ever. He's already got this uh, phenomenal range. We saw that thirty foot bomb from him a couple, a couple games ago, um, and now the mid range too, <laughs> forty foot. That's how you see highlights like his highlight against Michael Kidd-Gilchrist today. Right, is because when defenders are that. Uh, helpless frankly when they feel that helpless against Devin Booker if you give him a little bit of space all he needs is a hesitation move or two uh, a little pump fake and he has you and then he's got all the space he needs and he's going to take you all the way to the rim or he's you know going to hit you with a pump fake and then finish with a smooth mid-range shot yeah um but yeah like you said there's there's only a few guys in NBA history who can do this and it's Just one more reason to respect Devin Booker for his game in 2020, the fact that he's able to do this. I'm not saying—I'm not an advocate generally for the mid-range shot. I don't think Booker should go and become DeMar DeRozan. I think he should continue to work on his outside game as well. If he could like start hitting step back threes too, that would be amazing. But you don't want to fuck with his game. His mid-range game opens up so much uh so much for you. Right. And I think there's this generally there's this misconception about like, you know, stat nerds like us hating the mid-range shot or whatever. It's not that we hate the I mid-range don't, yeah. shot. We recognize that Devin Booker is much scarier to guard. Honestly, I believe um, if it weren't for the refs, maybe. Devin Booker is much scarier to guard, I think, if I were a defender than James Harden because of how much you need to cover him from any spot on the floor. Harden is only scary from a couple different areas. The reason so many stat guys bag on the mid-range shot so much is because too many guys at the NBA level think that they're good at it yeah. when they're actually not. Most if you're players shooting shouldn't
1: f- shoot it. Just most players. If
3: you're... Well, I'll give you an example. DeAndre Ayton shoots roughly 40% from the mid-range. If he shot 27% from three-point range, that would be mathematically equivalent. And so that's why stat nerds Fucking hate the mid-range shot for someone like DeAndre Ayton, but if Devin Booker is out there, he's shooting 57% from the mid-range, that's the equivalent of a 39% three-point shooter. He is as efficient, basically, as he could possibly be Mm -hmm. from any spot on the floor. There are very few players that we've seen match his level of scoring Mm -hmm. in the upper 20 points per game at his level of efficiency. He is the perfect intersection in so many ways between an old-school throwback-style scorer like a Tracy McGrady or a Kobe Bryant, who still thrives in the modern game and understands the concepts of modern spacing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's why it's so hard to find a comparison for Devin Booker because yes. yeah, there's just there's just no one really like him, and uh, that's why it's so exciting to see where his career is going to continue to go. Right.
1: And why is there nobody like him too, I want to point out. Uh, just to add to your thought before I get to that, part of the reason that mid-range shot is so important for him too is also drawing fouls. He averaged 8.4, this is before today's game updated, but averaged before that 8.4 free throw attempts per game, which is if that were the stats he had in the regular season would put him in like the top 15 players in the NBA. So that's an incredible stat. And and that's just being a threat everywhere allows you to do that. And, and for a guy, by the way, Devin Booker doesn't really look for the foul the way guys like Luka Doncic or James Harden or even DeMar DeRozan or Jimmy Butler do. Uh, he could look for it more and he likely would get those calls, especially now with the national spotlight on him, because as much as we hate it, refs care about that kind of thing. But why is there a tough comparison for him? I just want to bring that up. Because of his playmaking. And that's another thing that happened in this bubble uh, that, I mean, we've seen it all year, but I think with the spotlight on him, other people are now coming to terms with what it is. The, the types of passes that he can now make, uh, as the player that he is, by the way, from all those meaningless games he played before that allowed him to develop the <laughs> skill a good point are incredible like he's making these cross-court skip passes from one corner to the other by jumping over guys like Chris Taps Porzingis and throwing bullets to Cameron Johnson directly into his chest those are those are James Harden passes those are LeBron James passes those are Luka Doncic passes if you will people don't expect that out of him people who have not watched him and that's actually why it's hard to make a comparison because a lot of these guys that are normally like that, you could even say DeMar DeRozan. I, I don't like that comparison because he's never been quite the no. Zach Levine is a guy that sometimes uh, Bulls fans will go, well, what makes Devin Booker so much better than Zach Levine? I bet they're not saying that now. <laughs> I bet they're definitely not, not saying that now. Uh, Hopefully not. I think it's pretty obvious. And, his def- yeah, and he did well defensively. I just want to just quickly say that too in this bubble. He gave an effort. Like He's never going to be perfect, yeah. but he gave effort.
3: No, I mean, I watched him closely all eight games. I don't think I could point out, like, usually you can kind of pick on Devin Booker. You have to choose whether, you have to pick your battles on Suns Twitter, like, if you want to decide to post a clip of Devin Booker playing bad defense because people are going to get in your mentions because they only want to see positive stuff. Um, but honestly, in this eight-game stretch, there wasn't there wasn't really anything negative to pick on anyway. Right. Um, but I, I want to give credit. Obviously, you know, he's making these impressive to move on from, from Devin Booker mm-hmm, just a, mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, he's making these impressive cross-court passes, and, and Ricky Rubio as well, um, but the guys that they're finding are, are capitalizing on those shots, and are finishing off those plays at a level that we've never seen in Devin Booker's career, and so Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, Dario Saric uh, especially, those three guys, Javon Carter as well, um, all of the campaign, honestly just everyone deserves a lot of credit for the way that they shot the three ball in the bubble, and for the way that they cut There were stretches of the game against the Mavericks today where I think the Suns got six to eight straight points off of different guys cutting to the basket. Mm -hmm. We've talked in the past about how good Mikael Bridges has become at it, how Cam Johnson is a little bit underrated at it, and how he's not just a shooter, Um, but Dario is doing it as well. There are all sorts of guys cutting, finding cutting lanes on on this team right now, Um, and also just the fact that the Suns shot 40% from deep in the bubble. I don't necessarily know if that's sustainable going forward as (laughs) as they try to build out this team. Yeah, probably not. But but obviously, you know, Ricky Rubio, um, now that the season is officially over, we can say Ricky Rubio shot a career high um, from three point range this year. He shot above 36 percent in like his 11th or 12th season. So that's crazy, given that that was considered his biggest liability coming into the year. And the reason uh, that a lot of people doubted that signing Javon Carter. Um, is an amazing defensive presence. But really, the reason he's able to stay on the floor is because he can at least give you something offensively. He's hitting all of these threes. Dario Saric was hitting his threes again. It's just a complete team effort uh, in the purest sense of the word. Um, And so really, every role player played a massive part.
1: Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up 1 cent every time you bid. The kicker is, that auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign up on top of their other discounts. Go to deal fm and use the offer code timeline or deal dash.fm slash timeline. That's D E A L D A S H dot fm slash timeline. Uh, James Jones was available to the media today. And James Jones specifically mentioned that he did not want to let the bubble dictate too much what his plans are in this coming off season. I keep wanting to say summer, by the way, this is, this whole thing is going to throw off my entire year mentally, but this coming off season, he's not going to let the bubble dictate too much how he feels about this. I want to start out by saying, yes, that is the right approach. (laughs) You should be trying to build this team based on a larger sample size. Having said that, I have one exception. It's not Javon Carter. It's not Cameron Payne. I think both of those guys have been incredible. It's Dario Saric. I think that Dario Saric has shown enough that you have to consider bringing him back depending on that price, especially yeah. if Aaron Baines is gone.
3: I'm totally with you. I'm I'm totally with you. And I wrote a whole piece for Bright Side of the Sun the other day about how good Dario has been in his new role. Um, Now that, I mean... I don't, I don't even have his overall averages here, but just bear with me. Like These are the amount of points that he scored in every game in the bubble. 16, 13, 13, 16, 10, 16, 18, 16. Just consistency. Yeah, Consistency that we've seen from Dario and, and coming in all sorts of ways. Yes, his shot returned to him. He was able to hit spot-ups, but leading the bench unit the way that he was able to find uh, efficient post-ups, he was able to cut... Um, he was playmaking for others. He was getting himself to the free throw line far more often than than uh, DeAndre Ayton was. So yeah, I think going into the bubble, I was kind of thinking, eh, Frank Kaminsky versus Dario Saric. I really didn't care that much. Like I was thinking, like Dario would want like eight million dollars a year. Frank has a team option for four million. And my logic in my head was saying, yeah, that at that rate, probably just take Frank. Right, like he's probably half the player for half the price, and then try to find an upgrade over Dario in free agency. Now. I think uh, it's a much more interesting conversation, but I do think it brings up the conversation of do you reject Frank Kaminsky's team option? I think the answer to that is probably yes. Yes. Um, And I think the answer is definitely yes. (laughs) Uh, uh, Let me amend that statement. But then also, if you want to use Dario in the most effective way where you can still maintain a high usage role for him where he plays a lot of minutes, because this is obviously a guy who cares about his playing time. Um, then if you're going to continue to start like Kelly Oubre at power forward, you need to play him at center a lot in order to get him those minutes. And so it's kind of saying goodbye to Aaron Baines, which is unfortunate because we didn't get to see uh, Baines at all in the bubble. Right. But but those are the sorts of tough decisions we have coming up for us in in the coming months.
1: And I think a, a big, big, big part of that is that the Suns might not have a choice. Both of those guys are unrestricted free agents. They should probably try to keep one of them.
3: Dario is restricted.
1: Dario, that's right. Dario's restricted. That's, yeah. that's a great Dario's point.
3: restricted, but here's the thing. Dar, with Dario, my thing about Dario has always been, well, he hated playing in Minnesota coming off the bench. Why would he feel any different about Phoenix? But now you've got two things going for you. One, look, this is, this is complete, pure speculation. I don't want to give kind of anyone any big ideas, but there was a comment on the Bright Side of the Sun uh, article that I posted the other day from a Croatian reader about a local interview with Dario Saric's father in Croatia about how um, a big selling point for Dario in, in terms of like would he stay in Phoenix versus Minnesota was purely climate and Minnesota sucks in the winter and Phoenix <laughs> wouldn't if that's true and I take that with a massive grain of salt but you know these players have personal lives it's not all about basketball it's you know sometimes you just want to be in a warm place that could honestly be a selling point for Dario Arch and if it is, if it is so be it Um, But I think you just mostly what I'm worried about is you need to get him to buy into the role of, okay I'm a sixth man center slash power forward now. And this is just who I am. It's okay if I don't start. It's okay maybe if I don't get as much money. Um, I don't know the answer to that question, though. I don't know if he truly feels comfortable with that or if he would still rather either find a starting power for a job with some middling team in the rest of the NBA or maybe even, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, maybe even pull the uh, Nikola Mirotic route and run off back to Europe. He could do any of those things.
1: I think that, uh, yes, all of that is a great point, but I also want to just mention why he could consider the bench role at this point. Pre-bubble, would he consider a bench role? Probably not, to be honest, because he was still not properly utilized previously. Now, I think what's important is that the role of him at center, and you can argue that maybe when he plays with Frank, he's a power forward, but I think what's important is offensively He's the guy that eats up the space close to the rim, even when Frank's on the floor. Frank was generally a floor spacer when Dario and Frank shared the floor together. And that's important because Dario, his role when he's at center on offense, and I'm putting quotes around that, however you want to view it, is it allows him to take advantage of his size, his strength near the rim, and his playmaking abilities. If he were a center, regardless of what team it is, Yes, maybe you could sell him on certain teams we talked about the the San Antonio Spurs. Are they going to give him those same opportunities as he would have as a backup center on the Suns? I think that now he probably looking at these 8 games, he probably says, "Oh, now I'm finally being they're they're letting me be Dario now. They're allowing me to make those plays. They're allowing me to dribble a little bit more. They're allowing me to try and get to the basket." Uh, to get the rebound and dribble it down the court. He was doing that now, whereas he was, I think the last time we saw him do that was the first few weeks of the season. He didn't do a lot of that previously uh, for the last, I don't know how many games of the season. So maybe he wouldn't consider it, but I think maybe, it's another reason why these eight games are important. Maybe he would consider it after seeing how his role could possibly, he could be better utilized in that role than he was previously. So, you know, I think Cameron Payne, I think that you still have to look at a improvement for point guard. It's funny how easily we just shifted into (laughs) offseason talk, by the way. Yeah, and I I don't think we
3: should do too much more of it. But I was going to ask you, because I started off the bubble a few weeks ago being like, how good does campaign have to play to be the primary backup point guard going into next year? So I wanted closure on that conversation, at least.
1: Yeah, uh, I still don't. I still don't want to overvalue what they did here. I just... And hey, that's Mike. I agree.
3: That's the smart thing. That's James Jones. To go back to, to why we started this conversation, that's James Jones having a cool composure, which is what you need to have as a GM. Don't let eight games persuade you. It's great the campaign has a team option. It's great that he played as well as he did. The larger sample size of what this guy has been in the NBA tells us not to get too overly excited here. At the very least, to be cautious. Go out and and explore your other options, and that's absolutely what
1: they should do. It should be said though, Cameron Payne shot over fifty percent from the three point line in the bubble. Yeah. He shot close to fifty fifty two, fifty three percent. That's pretty amazing, and you know that would make him essentially, uh, obviously, the best shooter on the team. You know, uh, Dario Saric also shot over fifty percent from the three point line. This is a proof that it's just not sustainable over time. It's a great example. Uh, because although Dario is a great shooter and we've talked about it, he gets better towards the end of seasons for some reason. Uh, But it's just a good example. We've seen a larger sample size of what Dario Saric is as a shooter. We know it's not that. Uh, nobody's that. Uh, Just Cameron Payne, uh, here's, here's the thing. He's shown a lot and he was really great. I think he's probably proven that he deserves a place in the NBA or at least deserves a chance to prove that he deserves a place in the NBA going forward. Uh, Which is what he was trying to do, you know. That's he accomplished what he was trying to accomplish. He's better than Elliot Kobo. He's better than Ty Jerome. That's for sure. But also, they're bad. They're really bad. So if the Suns can find a way to improve that even more, they absolutely, absolutely should. So that's that's kind of how I feel about Cameron Payne. I don't know. There's other guys like Javon Carter. Like you're looking at at some point, you're looking at the third guard spot, you know, like the third stringer, if you will. And I wonder at some point if they're going to be debating between Cameron Payne and Javon Carter for that spot uh, instead. And it'll be interesting to see what happens there.
3: What happened to the lifetime contract for Javon Carter? Hey, I love it. I'm still him. all f- I love I'm for it.
1: it. The guys like that deserve a spot in the NBA. They just do. Uh, you know, you saw it now when course, the games matter. Of course.
3: And let, me, let me get on my soapbox real quick about Javon Carter because we're not doing this now. I'm resisting the temptation to get deep into off-season talk. There's plenty this of it James coming Jones up in the weeks fault. ahead. We're going to have whole episodes dedicated to, to players and stats and deep dives and whatever. But let me just say right now, sometimes, again, big stat nerd here. I look at all the advanced defensive stats when I'm scouting through players and and looking at who I want. I know what the stats on this team say. With Javon Carter, sometimes you just got to shut the fuck up and trust your eyes. Like, I don't usually say that sort of thing. Obviously, I think the eye test exists generally, but I'm not usually just like the shut the fuck up. But like, with Javon Carter, just shut the fuck up. He is so clearly... An impactful defender, not a guy who's gonna—he's not Patrick Beverly. He's not gonna play thirty to thirty-five minutes per game a night. But it is so clear in my mind that despite what the measurables uh, and and maybe his athleticism say, despite what his you know defensive real plus-minus or whatever might say, which by the way is positive, it just doesn't necessarily paint him as elite as Suns fans think he is. Well, I'm here to say that there's just no other player. Uh, on the Suns like that. I think the Dan Marley Hustle Award that he won today mm-hmm. was very well-deserved. And yeah, just to echo your point, Mike, there is always room in the NBA for guys like that, if at the very least in like a 10 to 15 minute per game third stringer role.
1: Yeah, and maybe they go five games without playing at all. <laughs> but then maybe you play Duncan Robinson and, you know, Mikhail Bridges can't get around the screens and you put him on. And, and, and that's that's what somehow changes the entire tone of the game that's, that's what guys like him are. And, uh, you know, and when he hits shots, like there's really no downside, especially for him. We talked about him like as a tiny PJ Tucker. I think that's how I, how I see him now. They even kind of almost look alike. They're they're like stocky, strong guys, uh, for their size. But yeah, I, you know, I was super, super impressed with everything that he did and what he brought to the team. And I think, you know, uh, as much as I don't like the idea of meaningful games in quotes, I do think that the the guys that played earned their minutes in, in this. Like you know, it it eventually got down to just a, a eight man rotation. Frank Kaminsky didn't even play in this game against Dallas until it was over. It was literally an eight man rotation, and the guys that played earned their minutes. You know, it it would have been really interesting. I almost wish that. Frank didn't. Uh, Frank didn't even play in this one. Oh, he didn't play at all. See, I, Sheck tell.
3: Sheck got Sheck Diallo got the last five minutes,
1: uh, and maybe that should have been the case all along. I guess he can't really shoot threes, and that that takes away that space for Dario. Uh, but yeah, it, it, this, these guys really earned their minutes. So if they played at all, like Javon Carter or like Cameron Payne, it's because they they earned it, they deserved it, and and you know that eight and really proves it. Um, anyone else? Oh, I guess we should talk about Ricky Rubio too. I thought Ricky Rubio was really impressive. He just kind of did his Ricky Rubio thing, right? He totally did his, he steady. totally did his
3: Ricky Rubio thing. He was very steady. Um, I think I don't have the stats unfortunately pulled up in front of me, but, um, it was just incredibly impressive to me that I think Ricky averaged like 16 and 10, um, post all-star break, like Steve Nash numbers. Uh, just kind of casually, and and as a guy who doesn't get a lot of respect, um, if he can come back next year and prove that the catch-and-shoot three-point shooting that he gave us this year was not a fluke, that it is repeatable over a second season in a row, that he really can, as we've mentioned at some points in the past uh, on the podcast, go through the Jason Kidd transition, where he's a guy who kind of like surprisingly becomes a shooter in the second half of his career. Not a dead-eye shooter who like creates for himself all the time. I'm not expecting him to step back, but like you can comfortably count on him to catch and shoot. If he becomes that guy um he will truly age like a fine italian wine or fine spanish wine yeah. sorry and uh almost made that mistake and um, yeah <laughs> yes and uh yeah and and can hopefully give the sons good production for the remainder of his contract which is two more years beyond that who's to say
1: we should say that he's aging like a fine spanish ham <laughs> cuz <'Cause> they do <laughs> they do aged ham in spain they, they just do Hamony it's really not good. Uh, well, I, do I don't really that. like it because I don't know.
3: I'll <laughs> be honest; I don't know anything about Spanish culture. I've never been. Uh, I'd love to go.
1: Yeah, it's a it's it's a really dry, gigantic ham, and uh, it's smoked, and then it's just kind of out in the and uh, Yes, I'm going to continue talking about this. It's smoked, and then they just kind of leave it <laughs> it's out. The,
3: it's officially it's officially the off season now. So who the fuck cares?
1: <laughs> and the way they eat it, and it, I shouldn't say it's bad. It's actually good. It's just the way that they eat it is they shave really small pieces off of this ham and they eat like these really small thin shaved pieces of ham and it's very very important to uh spanish culture in fact uh who's the old spanish point guard that used to play in the nba that played forever um jose calderon yes he has his own ham farm <laughs> <laughs> where he makes and sells uh ham jamon iberico it's like it's like you know spanish instead ham?
3: of answering jose calderon i think i almost answered pablo prigioni who is also italian yeah
1: well, uh, I, it's not him
3: <laughs> I'm, it's I'm, not an italian <laughs> for some reason i keep making that mistake but or or is argentinian i just fuck them all up i don't know um i looked it up hey <laughs> let's move on um the suns have do you do we have the dates pulled up
1: for the off season, like the actual official off like, season dates no i don't well
3: so like the suns deserve the suns go in now i'm doing your thing i'm taking your role for okay. a second the Suns go in with the tenth best odds at the lottery. Right. I will look up the date momentarily because I don't think either one of us has it pulled up. Um, the Suns deserve to win the lottery, but but in a, in a way, it's kind of this. Uh, I don't know what you would call it. Uh, I don't know the phrase that I'm looking for. I, you, I'm not very good at taking your role. You go. <laughs> what, do you, what do you what do you think about the fact that that the Suns have the lottery coming up? And uh, and yeah.
1: Well, I, I think that. There's The silver lining to all of this is the... Silver lining
3: is exactly the phrase that I was looking for that for some inexplicable reason I couldn't find, so thank you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's funny because when you were were grasping for it, I couldn't think of it, and then it just accidentally pops into my brain here. But the silver lining for all of this is the Suns keep... I don't know if all Suns fans know this, by the way. The Suns keep their lottery odds from pre-bubble. The only way your lottery odds change from before the bubble is if you made the playoffs, they didn't make the playoffs, so they went 8-0, and and they didn't... By the way, Max Hodder asked us a question on one of our mailbags about would you rather the Suns have the number one overall pick or go 8-0 and and uh, have no guarantee... Why not the, both? Have no guarantee? Yeah, they have an opportunity for both now, which is hilarious <laughs> <laughs> because that question, uh, it just was so unlikely that either of those things were going to happen, and now... If there's a potential for both of those things to happen what that means is that the, the suns are slotted about 10th right now i think is is where it is exactly 10th Ex- yes. okay thank you and i believe let me look up here have, i'll go to tankathon they have a 14 just about it's like 14 point something percent chance of jumping to a top four pick that's they have pretty a, high odds
3: yeah 13.9 percent. at top four 3% at the first overall pick.
1: 3% at the first overall pick after almost making the playoffs is not... I mean, that's rare. That's very given rare. Given we we
3: had a 0.01% chance at making the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess we didn't make the playoffs. But but we had like a 0.01% or 0.05% chance of winning eight straight games, and we did that. So 3%, I'll take those odds.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, uh, that's the silver lining through all of this is that uh there's literally only one scenario where the suns can essentially be one game out of the playoffs but still have a 14 percent chance at a top four pick and it's this exact scenario where for some reason the last eight games of the season don't count towards the lottery odds it's just the roll of the dice just rolled in the right way for them uh for this specific time now is that any comfort to devin booker and ricky rubio uh right now no is it a comfort to Suns fans a little bit? <laughs> like it's a little bit of a comfort to Suns fans. I think because there's a possibility of them moving up. And here's I th- here's what I'll say about that. I, you know, it's not like a great, great, great draft for that. But if they want to trade it, the trade value goes up pretty dramatically if it's the number four pick compared to the number ten pick. You know that that sure. matters too.
3: No trade trade value would be great. And uh and yeah, there's a lot of interesting trade packages you could make to. Please, Devin Booker, I suppose, if you wanted to forego kind of the, the whole process of selecting another prospect in general, I think Ryan McDonough never would have done that type of thing. Um, but maybe maybe James Jones. James Jones strikes me as the guy, based on the limited sample size of, of draft history we have from him, who might go for that. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. And, and obviously, the other thing is... Um, So the other big thing that happens within the next couple of months is free agency. And I think free agency is a little bit more interesting for Suns fans now as well. It's not a star-studded free agent class like next year will be. But I absolutely, we've gotten this question a couple of times before. A couple of people have asked, do you think the Suns will preserve their cap space for 2021 by just going after, you know, kind of like they did with Trevor Reza a couple years ago, like throw a one-year deal at a guy. I don't think that's what they're going to do. I don't I think do they're going to focus. I think they're going to focus on long-term building. I do too. Not necessarily throw a four- or five-year contract in, at anyone. Maybe it'll be two or three years, but I think they're going to focus on how, how can they continue to build off of this foundation to get the best team uh, in the in the far future and not worry so much about trying to court Giannis away from ten other bigger markets uh next offseason. But it does make free agency more interesting because now the Suns come in as the sexy kind of team with all the all the positive momentum that just went eight no in the bubble and maybe that is appealing alongside the uh new practice facility to some free agents.
1: Yeah, and the and the respect that players definitely will have for Monty uh Williams. And for yeah, and for Devin Booker. And for Devin Booker. And I think James Jones said this Early, early on in the off season last year, he said, I believe we already have two superstars in DeAndre and in Devin Booker, and I will build the team accordingly. And he, that means that he's not leveraging assets to try and take a massive gamble on trying to acquire a star, an all-star or a superstar. It means he's trying to fill in the pieces around them. I think that one of those guys proved without any doubt that he's a superstar in a way that I think maybe will build on his confidence in how he can build this team. And I think you're right about that. I don't think that they're going to leverage their cap space for 2021. Too many uncertainties. I think they have cap space now in a market that's and, going to and be And too much to
3: lose. Honestly, in Booker's sixth year, too much to lose yes. if you don't continue with the momentum Excellent and go point. like 500 or greater. Excellent
1: point. So I think they're going to spend uh, what they have. Uh, it's just such, it's so unpredictable, but the Suns have the ability of creating a pretty pretty large amount of cap space this off season, if they start uh, waving some cap holds and and making that space and uh, and we'll definitely soon be talking about some of those free agents as early as tomorrow. To be honest, for some people listening to this uh, tonight, um, as early as tomorrow, we may be talking about this in in another format. But there's going to be a huge conversation about that. But I completely agree with you. I think they're actually going to look. And you know what? That's another reason. Shout out to uh, old Bobby Sarve. Uh another reason why Mr. it was important Sarver. Mr. Sarver yeah sorry if he's listening I'm sure he got this far into the podcast um another reason why it was important to play these games I think they proved something to a lot of people about the potential of this team going forward even by the way Kendrick Perkins who changed his mind about agreeing with Draymond Green and now says that Devin Booker needs to stay put in Arizona, because I mean, honestly, because these guys are watching Mikhail Bridges for the first time. <laughs> a lot of these people. That's really what's happening right now. Shaquille, Shaquille O'Neal, did you did you see that um, on TNT?
3: No, he literally admitted they were playing a highlight. Because um, I remember you tweeted about how. Charles compared Booker to Jordan and Kobe, and you said that's what 8-0 does. Yeah. But the other thing that I saw from that halftime is they were showing a highlight of Mikael Bridges hitting a three. Shaq saw it. He literally was like, I don't know what your name is until you make the playoffs. Like, he literally said that. Yeah. And that's Mikael Bridges, who, who all of NBA Twitter loves, like all these hipsters. So it's just proof, like... Yeah, don't get too worked up by the the national media narrative, well, especially the Suns those are winning guys. games <laughs> Especially those guys yeah. Look, I'm not I'm not offended. Yeah. That's that's <laughs> not what I'm trying to give no. off. Like I know that's just Shaq being Shaq. I,
1: to be honest, um, I like that. I, I because I think these the players are weirdly motivated by those yeah, guys. Yeah, I think they are. That, yeah.
3: But I think it's just proof of of kind of a greater trend that extends beyond Shaq. When Shaq does it it's funny. When Nate Duncan or Ben Rohrbach do something kind of to the extent that suggests that they haven't actually watched Devin Booker beyond maybe a quarter, um, then it's annoying. Uh, But I think now that the Suns are winning games, they will have the spotlight on them for better or worse. So we will see those narratives start to uh, shift, hopefully in the positive direction.
1: Actually, I just want to say Nate Duncan watched, I think, three games last year and a lot of clips on Synergy. So he knows exactly (laughs) what he's talking about. So I don't know if we can really insult him. What, speaking of talking about stuff, what are we we going to talk about?
3: <laughs> yeah, so I think, uh, I think, I mean, look, there's going to be a lot of off-season topics. We're going to still give you a podcast a week, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think we have a little bit more to recap here to finish about uh, talking about the um, yeah.
1: The season as a whole. On the
3: regular season. The season as a whole. I think that'll be our next episode. But after that, it's going to be straight into off-season talk. We're going to talk about the draft, finally. We are not draft people. Um, Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about free agency. But we will bring on people who are experts on the draft to kind of help us out a little bit and, and do our own research. Um, We're going to talk about free agency. Free agency, I feel very comfortable talking about. Mm -hmm. I will say that I I always do my research on NBA free agents Mm -hmm. because it actually interests me because it gives me an excuse to watch NBA basketball, which I find a lot more entertaining than college. But Mm -hmm. that's just my thing. Um, So we'll talk about those two things. Obviously, we're going to continue to talk about the playoffs every week as they progress, because I imagine we are still basketball fans who are interested in the playoffs. Yeah. um, Yeah, I I guess a lot rides on when is the season, the 2020-2021 season actually going to start yeah. because if it starts in December, then uh, I think it'll be pretty easy for us to create content basically all the way up until the start of the next season. If it actually starts in next March,
1: yeah. <laughs> then
3: we, may, we, we m- may hit a period where we're doing Coach Carter. We might have to watch uh, Coach Rewatches. Carter, yeah.
1: <laughs> Break it down. Like, maybe we'll do like a... There's a Star Wars podcast that uh, breaks down the Star Wars movies minute by minute. So That sounds horrible. E- each podcast is about a single minute of a Star Wars movie. So if it gets bad enough, we'll just do that with Coach Carter. We'll
3: do we'll do that with every single pick and roll possession of <laughs> Devin Booker's career.
1: Well, that's a lot. Uh that's quite 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 a bit.
3: I think that's like I think that's the fullest progression of NBA Twitter. Like you start posting clips, you start kind of doing film studies on NBA Twitter you start posting these clips like people get into it mm-hmm. and then I think I get to, you get to the point where you can do like a 30 minute podcast episode on one 10 second clip <laughs> you've achieved all that you can possibly achieve in the in the hipster NBA Twitter community i think that's the goal that kind of ever the aesthetic that people are already shooting for we're going to capitalize on that uh, before anyone else
1: yeah, especially if you do it by not watching the game and only finding the play on Synergy. <laughs> so you don't <laughs> none of the context of what was happening in the game is there. It's just the play uh and the play by itself. But yeah, I want to say this um to Suns fans that are listening. This has been a bizarre season uh with it started with a suspension immediately after the first game which brought so much hope to us uh and then ended with a like 4 month break and then an 8 and 0 uh which which also brought a lot of hope but i i do want to say that it has been a blast especially at the beginning and the end there was obviously that 7 and 4 start or whatever it was now i don't even remember and of course now the 8 and 0 ending i have had a really fun time on this podcast covering the team I've had a really fun time on Reddit and Twitter talking to Suns fans on a day, day-to-day basis. Like these, you know, pe- Some of you people I talk to uh, more than I talk to some of my coworkers or, or even some of my extended family. So shout out to you guys. I think this has been a fun season. It's a shame that it ended like it did. But in a way, it's not because we were taken on a little ride here at the end and I think we have a lot to look forward to going forward. Any other thoughts by you, Sam?
3: uh raise a glass i guess if you're having a drink right now you're probably not and i don't know if that's something I you do while listening to podcasts i i know you <laughs> usually drink during the podcast well, I before the
1: game like it's <laughs> like during this <laughs> nets game it practically was begging for but yeah
3: yeah sure uh, uh yeah a toast to the 2019 2020 phoenix suns who went out with a bang um a revitalized franchise that shocked the world and hopefully turned the corner um, on, a, on a new era for this franchise moving forward.
1: Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back pretty soon. In the next few days, we're going to record another episode. We have some more things to talk about. So thanks, everyone, for listening this season. By the way, if you've enjoyed this podcast, if you've never rated or reviewed us on your podcast apps, now would be a good time if you want to give us a good review. If you want to give us a bad review, uh, just don't do it. <laughs> just do, maybe delete your podcast app. <laughs> Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is back in action, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partner, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and prop bets, all available 24 7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven time NBA champ Robert Ori. See what they had to say on what it will be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.
0: Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G.